Our bodies will one day soon be transformed by Christ into the image of his own glorious resurrection body made suitable for living forever in the kingdom of God. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. We are continuing here then today in our celebration of this Christmas season. Remember, we have said that Christmas is a season of hope, and that hope is on the horizon. And if you've attended this church for a little while, you know the difference between the way we use that word hope in our everyday language and the way the Bible uses the word hope. But if you're visiting with us here today, and just a reminder to us all as well, that when the Bible talks about hope and the hope that we have in Christ, it's not just a, a wish for something, a desire that may or may not come true, that when the Bible talks about hope, it is a sure and certain promise. It is something that absolutely is going to come true because it is backed up by God's power, by God's wisdom, and by God's goodness and love. And so because of that, we know when God makes a promise, when God says he is going to do something or something is going to come about, then we can know with absolute certainty and confidence that God is going to bring that about. And so when we talk about our hope in Christ, you know, Christmas is about celebrating the birth of a Savior, the one who came to bring us this great hope of life in his name. What does it mean when it says that we have hope in Christ? Well, there are many wonderful truths that the scripture shares with us about that. But we're looking at these, that it means eternal life, that through faith in Jesus Christ is the gift of eternal life, not just living forever, but it is a quality of life, a quality of great joy and peace in the Holy Spirit, in the presence forever of God, eternal life. It is perfect righteousness, knowing that we will never struggle with sin or temptation ever again, but rather that we will be perfectly holy, just as Christ is perfectly holy. He has given us that gift of perfect holiness and righteousness, perfect goodness then. Today, then, we're going to look at the, whoop, at the resurrected body here. Uh, we'll have a little more to say about that. We are not going to be disembodied spirits in some mysterious netherworld called heaven, but we are going to live forever in physical, resurrected, glorified bodies on a physical, glorified new earth. There's also the promise of heavenly reward, that what we do for now for God matters forever then, that God is going to reward what he sees us do for him and for his service. And then finally, a new earth, that God has not just redeemed human beings, that he is making all things new, including this earth then. For today then, our focus is going to be on the resurrected body. And we'll be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 42 through 58. And here is the key theme that I want us to take away from our message today. That is this, that our bodies, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, our bodies will one day soon be transformed by Christ into the image of his own glorious resurrection body made suitable for living forever in the kingdom of God. 
And this is the hope of the resurrection then, a glorious resurrection body, physical body like that of Christ, made suitable then for living forever in the kingdom of God, in the new heaven and the new earth. We'll be pulling from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 42, but first a little context here. As you may know, 1 Corinthians 15 is the great chapter on resurrection, on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and our resurrection, that we will follow him in that. It's stated there very clearly, the Apostle Paul makes it clear, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the foundation, or the cornerstone of our faith. If Jesus has not been raised, then do we truly have hope in him? If he is still dead in that grave? No, we don't. But Jesus has been raised, and because he has been raised, we have eternal hope in his name. If the resurrection is true, and it is, then all that Jesus has said in his word is true, and this is our hope. You know, there were some who were denying the resurrection of Christ back then, just as people do today. In fact, some were even denying the very concept of resurrection in general. And Paul makes it clear, though, that if there is no resurrection in general, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then what? Then we are, we are the most pitied of all people then, having a false hope. But Christ, spoiler alert here, Christ has indeed been raised, hasn't he? And so because of that, we have hope, and we will follow him in his resurrection. But what kind of body will we have? What will this resurrection body look like? What will it be like? Well, before we read our text, listen to this, what Paul says right before that, starting in verse 35 of 1 Corinthians 15. He says, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For stars differ from star in glory. So God has assigned all kinds of glory to different things, and this glory of the resurrection body is of a new kind. I love that analogy that we are given there in Scripture that says that these earthly bodies here that perish, that die, are like that seed. That just as we plant that seed into the ground, up from that springs a new life. It has a continuity with the seed, and yet it is something new and glorious altogether, isn't it? That little seed that you plant that becomes a beautiful flower, that seed that you plant that becomes a a grain of, of corn or wheat. In the same way, then, these bodies are going to be planted, if you will, into the ground and will spring forth in glorious resurrection. 
a glorious resurrection body. And so this is our hope. So let's listen then now, as Paul says here, starting in verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. And as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen. Well, what will happen to our bodies? You know, all of us have experienced the sadness of, and grief of having to say goodbye to a loved one who has died a family member, a close friend. We just recently had to say goodbye temporarily to one of our sisters in Christ here in the church, didn't we? And for the sister of another member of our church here. And so we grieve at these losses, but how good it is to know, though, that we have hope and we do not grieve as those who have no hope. But as we put their remains away, as that earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, as that happens. We know, though, that that is not the final estate of those remains, is it? That through the mighty power of God, he is going to raise that. What is going to happen then to our bodies? Well, the scripture tells us here a number of things about what is going to happen to them. 
First, we are told that our bodies are going to be transformed. They're going to be changed. Be changed how? From the perishable to the imperishable. From the dishonorable to glorious. From weak to powerful. And when it says that our bodies are perishable, if something is perishable, what? It means that it, it dies. These bodies die, don't they? These bodies are mortal. They die. They get sick. They age. And then one day they die. All of us have mortal, perishable bodies. But the resurrection body will be imperishable, immortal, incapable of dying, incapable of sickness or disease or aging or death from perishable to imperishable. We're also told that our bodies will be transformed from dishonorable to glorious. Now, the saying that these bodies are dishonorable, this does not mean that physical bodies, that physicality is somehow dishonorable. It is not. God has made us with physical bodies in a physical world, hasn't he? So what is he saying? So what is dishonorable about these bodies? It's not the fact that they're physical, It's the fact that what? That they are indwelt by sin. That's the dishonor. It's the dishonor and the shame that sin has brought to our bodies, to our world. Well, our resurrection bodies will not be dishonorable. There will be no shame. There will be no curse or guilt of sin. But rather, they will be glorious incapable of sin, free forever. Free forever from the penalty and the power and the presence of sin. From dishonorable to glorious. We're told then that our bodies will be transformed from weak to powerful. Our bodies are weak because of sin, because of our rebellion against God. Our bodies have become weakened by that. And we are subject to temptation. We're not always able to do what we might want to do or wish we could do, even the the good that we want to do. Our bodies are weak. But they will be changed from weak to powerful. You know, earlier this year, uh, last, last spring, I, I, I joined a health club, decided to do that. I've been doing that. And um, now some of you might wonder, you know, you know, with a, with a body like mine, why would I need to change, right? Why would I want to go to a health club? You know, I know. In fact, you know, when I go there, in fact, uh, I'm frankly, I'm the envy of all the men in the club. And uh, many of the women look admiringly at me, but I have to say, ladies, ladies, please, right? So, but I, I have decided, though, that maybe it's time for some change there and some changes. So I've been doing that. And you know what? One of the things I have discovered there is that when you last regularly worked out, lifted weights, when you were like in your 20s and 30s, and then you haven't done it since then, and now you're doing back, and now you're in your mid-50s, all of a sudden those weights got a lot heavier in the last 20 years. How did that happen? You know, things that all of a sudden somebody must have changed the numbers on them or something, because now they're about twice as heavy as they used to be, right? What's that all about? Well, you know, the fact is these bodies, what, they do age. They get weak and weaker than two, don't we, as they age. But not so with the resurrection body. The resurrection body 
will be powerful, not subject to weakness or temptation. And able then, powerful, able to fulfill all of God's purposes. Anything that God has ordained for you, your body will be capable of doing that. Our bodies will be transformed then too from natural to spiritual. The natural body means what? It is the body of this earth, the earthly body, the body that we are born into, this physical body that we are born into here. This is the natural earthly body, which is mortal, dishonorable, and weak. But we will be given a spiritual body, we are told then. Now, be very clear here on some. Sometimes some people misunderstand this, and they think this, the spiritual body means somehow non-physical. You know, because we think of spirit. Spirit, a spirit is non-physical, isn't it? So, well, a spiritual body then by definition must be non-physical, right? Wrong. That's not the case. It does not mean non-physical. Spiritual body here means of the realm of the heavenly and the spiritual, as opposed to a body of this earthly realm, which is mortal and fallen. It is a body of the heavenly spiritual realm, which is imperishable, glorious, and powerful, and yes, physical, still physical in nature. So it is a heavenly of the spirit from above realm, Spiritual, yes, but physical, still physical. From the natural to the spiritual, from the earthly to the heavenly. We are, our bodies will be transformed from Adam's image to Christ's image. An image means what? In the likeness of something. When you see your image in the mirror, you're seeing your likeness in that mirror, Right? Well, our bodies are in the likeness of the mortal body of Adam. But that is going to be changed to the image or the likeness of the resurrected body of Christ. You know, when Jesus came into this world, we celebrate his incarnation at Christmas, don't we? His taking on human flesh. Well, he had a body. It was a body like ours. But it has now been transformed. It has now been changed through glorious resurrection. He's been resurrected, glorified. And so our bodies will be in the image of Christ, like Christ, the second to Adam. They are also changed from incapable to capable. Incapable of what? Our bodies as they are now are incapable of living forever. They are incapable of living on the new earth. They are incapable of that life. As I've said before, I'll ask you again, if, if, someone were to, if I were to say to you right now that I could absolutely guarantee you that you would live forever, but you have to live forever in the body that you have right now and all that that means, would you take that deal? No, you wouldn't. Because you want a body that is imperishable and glorious and powerful and in Christ's image and capable, capable of living forever on the new earth in the kingdom of heaven. And that's what the body will be. Well, how? How and when will this happen? How and when will this happen? Well, Scripture tells us right there that it will happen 
in an instant, by God's great power, when? When Christ returns. When Christ returns. It will happen in a moment. That word that is translated moment there is the word atomos, A-T-O-M-O-S, atom. We, we get our word atom from that. What is an atom? A very, very, very tiny thing, isn't it? And the ancient Greeks had this concept, and they would later be proven to be true, of everything being composed ultimately of tiny, tiny little bits of matter called atoms, that, that, that everything could be ultimately broken down into these things. And an atom was originally was thought to be the, the, the smallest unit of matter possible. Atom literally means incapable of being cut. Atom, uncuttable. In other words, the smallest that there is. And so we believe that an atom was the smallest unit of matter there was. Of course, we know that there are actually much smaller things than atoms now, right? Subatomic particles and so on. But that was the idea. So in, a, in an atom of time, if you will, meaning what? A very, very tiny moment of time. In an instant, in the twinkling of an eye. What's a twinkling of an eye? Like the blink of an eye? Okay, everybody, let's, let, let's see. Does somebody have a, 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 a measure, a, a stopwatch or something here? Let's, let's see if we, can, if we can measure that, right? You know, we'll do this here right now. Let's all, let's all on the count of three, we'll, we'll, we'll twinkle our eyes, we'll blink our eyes. Are you ready? Here we go. One, two, three. That was pretty fast, wasn't it? There we go. So, how quickly is your body going to be changed? Like that. That's pretty fast. <laughs> In an instant. How? By God's great power. You know, something I've, I've, I've shared with you before, I'd like to mention here again to you. Some of you, I know you're going to say, man, how many times is he going to tell that? Well, keep coming and you'll find out, right? But here it goes. I love this illustration of God's power. Does God have the power to do all that he has promised? Does he have the power to transform you like that in the blink of an eye? Well, let me give you a little illustration uh, to put it in some perspective for us of the power of God. I've talked before about how our, our sun, our sun and how much power radiates off of the sun. Do you know that every two seconds, every two seconds, enough power radiates off of the sun to power human civilization for a million years? You know, just think about that, about how much power it takes to run human civilization every day Every two seconds, that much power is just harmlessly radiating off from the sun into space. How much power did it, create, did it take to create that much power, like the sun? And he created all of that out of nothing. But here's the thing. There, there's the sun. That's just one star, right? And it's actually not even a very large star, as stars go. The largest star that we have found so far is called Stevenson 218. How much bigger is it than our sun? A hundred times bigger? No. A thousand? A hundred thousand? A million? How about this? Ten billion. Ten billion with a B. You could fit ten billion of our suns inside this one star called Stevenson 218. 
How much power do you think is radiating off of Stevenson 218? And yet, Stevenson 218 is one star out of the hundreds of billions of stars in our galaxy. And our galaxy is one galaxy out of hundreds of billions. And by the power of God, all of that power, all of that was created, how? Out of nothing. Simply by the will of his command, he willed it, and it was so. So let me ask you, does God have the power to raise your body and transform it in a blink, in an instant? Yes, Yes, he does. When will this happen? When Christ returns. When Jesus comes again. We look in 1 Thessalonians 4, it tells us where what? That we might wonder, you know, some who had, uh, believers had died and then those who were still living were wondering, are they going to miss out on the, on the coming of Christ? And the resident said, oh, no, no, they're not missing out. In fact, when Jesus comes again, who will rise first? Those who have died in Christ. The dead will be raised first. So our loved ones, our mom, our dad, our brother, sister, Dear friends, a child perhaps, when Christ comes again, they will be raised first. And then we who are living will be transformed in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, when Christ returns. Therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? In light of all of that, in light of the victory that we have in Christ, In light of God's great power and promise, in light of that then, what ought you and I to do? We're told, be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. Steadfast means what? This is persevering, continuing on. There are so many things that can discourage us, aren't there? But be steadfast, persevere, continue on in the faith. Be immovable. If something is immovable, well, what's it mean? It it can't be pushed away, it can't be moved. And this is how we are to be in our faith, in our trust, in our confidence in God. Because God is who he is, his power and also his character, his goodness and his love, his faithfulness, because all of these things are true. Don't let anything push you or move you away from that confident hope. Be steadfast, immovable. This does not mean that we don't struggle sometimes with questions or doubts. doesn't mean that at all. In fact, I think that's a part of our growing in Christ is, is, is handling those questions and faiths and, and, and those questions and doubt. But in the end, we keep coming back to the character of God, the power of God, the confidence that we can have in His Word, and most importantly, the confidence that we can have in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because those things are true. Be steadfast, immovable, and also then what? Abound. Abound in the work of the Lord. Be busy doing the things that God has called us to do, fulfilling his purposes for our lives. And what's the big task that God has given 
not just the church generally, but to you and me as individual members of the church, what's the big task he has given us? It is to make disciples, right? It's to walk with Christ. It's to grow in our knowledge of him. And I don't just mean head knowledge. I mean personal experiential knowledge. Knowing Christ the way you know your best friend. Growing in knowledge of him. Growing in the image of him and his character. Being made more like him. And sharing that hope with others. And for those who believe, building them up, discipling them, growing them to maturity in Christ. Using the gifts and abilities that you've been given to serve in some way. This is the work of the Lord. And so then, because all these things are true, be steadfast and movable and abound in the work of the Lord because, why? Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. If something is in vain, it means what? It's useless. It's pointless. To do something in vain is, is, is pointless. Serving the Lord is never pointless. Does it feel that way sometimes? It can, but it never is. Why? Because God remembers, God sees, God knows, God will remember, and God will reward everything you have done for him. In fact, that's the theme next week in our Hope in Christ, Heavenly Reward. We'll be looking a little more closely at that from Scripture. God sees it all, God remembers it all, God will reward it all. I'd like to spend just a few moments here in what I call a little sanctified speculation. As you know, I've recommended a a really great book that I think after the scriptures, maybe the the most uh, impactful book I've read, it's a book by Randy Alcorn called Heaven. It talks about that. And he has a chapter about the resurrection body. And um, I just want to share just a few thoughts from that chapter that he shares with us about a little sanctified speculation, if you will, about the resurrection body. First off, he says, what will our bodies look like? How will they function? He says, they'll be free from the curse of sin, redeemed, restored to their beauty and purpose that goes back to Eden The only bodies we've ever known are weak and diseased remnants of the original bodies God made for humans. But the bodies we'll have on new earth in our resurrection will be even more glorious than those of Adam and Eve. He says, yes, will we all have beautiful bodies? He says, I expect our bodies will be good looking, but not with a weightlifting, artificial implant, skin tuck, tanning booth sort of beauty. (laughs) He says, rather, I expect... Our bodies will have a natural beauty that won't need cosmetics or touch-ups. As for fat, because God created fat as part of our bodies, we'll surely have some, but in healthy proportion. Well, that's good news, isn't it? That's very good news. God will decide what our perfect bodies look like, but we certainly shouldn't assume they'll all look alike. Different heights and weights seem as likely as different skin colors Racial identities will continue. 
If you don't believe me, read Revelation 5 and 7. And this involves a genetic carryover from the old body to the new. It says this we can be certain. No matter exactly how they look, our bodies will please the Lord, ourselves, and others. We won't gaze into the mirror wishing for a different nose or different cheeks or ears or teeth. The sinless beauty of the inner person will overflow into the beauty of the outer person. We'll feel neither insecurity nor arrogance. We won't attempt to hide or impress. We won't have to try to look beautiful. We will be beautiful. But we'll be most grateful, not about our appearance, but our health and our strength. Yes, will our new bodies have new abilities? He says, our resurrection bodies will never fail us. They'll work in perfect concert with our resurrected minds. And he says, it's possible that the risen Christ, who is man yet God, has certain physical abilities we won't have. Appearing and disappearing could be a limited expression of his omnipresence, and his ascension might be something our bodies couldn't imitate. On the one hand, because we're told in multiple passages that our resurrection bodies will be like Christ, it may be possible at times to transcend the present laws of physics or travel in some way we're not now capable of. But on the other hand, it's our God-given human nature to be embodied creatures existing in space and time. So it's likely that the same laws of physics that governed Adam and Eve will govern us. We can't be sure, but either way, it will be wonderful. It says, will we be male or female? Yes, we will. It says, was Jesus genderless after his resurrection? Of course not. No one mistook him for a woman or as androgynous. He's referred to with male pronouns. We'll never be genderless because human bodies aren't genderless. The point of the resurrection is that we will have real human bodies essentially linked to our original ones. Gender is a God-given, created aspect of humanity. It says, will we all appear the same age? He wonders, you know, for a child that dies, will that person be a child forever? If you die as an older person, will you be old forever? One Bible commentator suggests this. He says, our DNA is programmed in such a way that at a particular point we reach optimal development from a functional perspective. For the most part, it appears that we reach this stage somewhere in our 20s and 30s. If the blueprints for our glorified bodies are in our DNA, then it would stand to reason that our bodies will be resurrected at the optimal stage of development determined by our DNA. But he does, again, this is speculation, folks, here talks about how in Isaiah 11, Isaiah 65, it speaks there in the millennium, which also has overtures of the, of the new earth, of, um, of there being children. And I'm wondering what that is. He says, well, what does that mean? Will there be children on the new earth? He says, it's possible that these children will presumably be allowed to grow up on the new earth a childhood that would be enviable, to say the least. Believing parents, then, would presumably be able to see their children grow up and likely have a major role in their lives as they do so. This would fit something I'll propose later, that on the new earth, many opportunities lost in this life will be wonderfully restored. 
Although it's not directly stated, and I am therefore speculating, it's possible that parents whose hearts were broken through the death of their children will not only be reunited with them, but will also experience the joy of seeing them grow up in a perfect world. Now it's also possible that on the new earth we will appear ageless. C.S. Lewis portrays this in The Great Divorce, saying of heaven's inhabitants, no one in that company struck me as being of any particular age. But however it is, the new earth will be a place of both maturity and perfection. And regardless of what age we appear, I believe that our bodies will demonstrate the qualities of youthfulness that Jesus so valued in children. We will be unburdened by the curse that shrivels not just our bodies, but also our spirits, robbing many of youthfulness. In heaven, whether or not anyone is the size and appearance of a child, we'll all be childlike in the ways that will bring joy to us and to our Father. So what? What are we to do with this? I want to remind us, our bodies, your body, will one day soon be transformed by Christ into the image of his own glorious resurrection body made suitable for living forever in the kingdom of God. Do you have this hope? Do you have this hope in Christ that's received by faith? Putting our trust and confidence in him, turning away from sin and darkness and embracing the forgiveness and hope and life that is ours through faith in him, faith in his life, his death, and his resurrection. Do you have this hope in Christ? If you do, hold steady. Be steadfast, immovable. Hold steady in this hope for yourself, but also for your departed loved ones in Christ, for those who have gone on before They have not yet experienced the resurrection of the body. They're waiting for you and me and all the others when we will all be changed in an instant when Christ returns. But they will be raised and you will be raised. Hold steady in this hope for yourself and for your departed loved ones in Christ. And finally then, abound, abound in the work of the Lord. Don't get discouraged, don't give up, because God sees it all, God knows it all, God will remember it all, and God will reward it all. More on that next time. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time here today. We are so grateful, Lord, to reflect on this wondrous hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We have this, Lord, because he came into this world as a, a humble baby, but this baby grew up. He lived a perfect life for us. He went to the cross where he willingly died for our sin. He was buried and he rose again and he's coming again. We believe that, Lord. Lord, we thank you for our children, for the joy that they gave us here today in the program, but also the Lord for the joy of dedicating several of these children, to you now, to your care and your keeping. We once again pray, Lord, for Jeremiah, for Levi, for Hudson, that they, Lord, would come to know you very early in life and to serve you all the days of their lives and to share in this hope in Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, as a church family, to come alongside them and their parents to understand the hope of the gospel, to believe and to grow strong in this wonderful hope. Lord, I pray then that we would hold fast, that we would be immovable, and that we would abound in the work of the Lord, knowing 
that you see all, you know all, you will remember all, and you will reward all. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org. 